Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. We had a big uh, ovation here, but it's, you know, here's the thing. It's the end of the year, and what do you do at the end of the year? You want to be with uh, some old friends, some good friends. You want to hear some great music, so that's what we decided to do today in terms of old friends. We got Al Anderson, and we got his great friend and our great friend, Jim Chapdelaine. They're in the studio with us. We're going to talk uh, to Al. We're gonna, we didn't do kind of the Al Anderson biopic. Uh, rough out the script here, tell the story of his life. He's back in town uh, for some shows uh, with his old band. We'll tell you about that as well. I'm back and I'm proud. <laughs> you're back and you're proud. All right. Welcome to our studios. It's great to have you. Tell us about that song real quick. That's the song George Jones recorded? Yeah. And I wrote it with a Stephen, Stephen Bruton, the guy I wrote Trip Around the Sun with, a guy from Austin, Texas. And we should say, I mean, Al uh, started out uh, with uh, the Wild Weeds. Actually, technically, if we were to plunge right into the biopic right now, we'd have to start before that, probably with the visuals, right? Was, was the visuals your first the vis- How did you know that? I do my homework, the visuals. Wow. Who, yeah. doesn't, who doesn't have some of those bootleg visuals? And uh, our, motto was, our motto was, you have to see it to believe it, not hear it, see it. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a bad marketing strategy. Yeah. And so h- how many people were in the visuals? Depending on the, on the week. <laughs> but usually I think, I think there was four. And you, you guys were literally like 11, something like that? Yeah. 
one of the things you're back here to do is, in fact, to reunite, reunite with the Wild Wheats in the 1960s. I mean, uh, unless we're going to count Gene Pitney, too, there probably wasn't a bigger musical sensation out of Connecticut than the Wild Weeds. Tell us about the Weeds. Well, it's the Five Satins and Five Satins. Oh, I forget about them. Well, the Carpenters, yeah. Okay, so there's a few of them. Yeah. After the uh, visuals and the altones and all these instrumental bands. Six Packs. Oh, Six Packs, yeah. Well, six Packs, that, that became the Weeds. I hooked up with Ray Ziner. And he was playing in the black clubs in North End of Hartford, the Rockabye, which was the greatest of all, and the Red Ash on Albany Avenue, which was the worst. But <laughs> you had to be careful where you walked. Really, the holes in the floor? It was pretty funky. And then he got a job in, at the uh, Hofbrau. The Hartford Hofbrau. And, he, and he was a house band for like years and years and years. And he, mm-hmm. people that came in, he played with all, all of them, King Curtis and Cannonball Adderley. And, that, so we didn't do that anymore, so we started this band in high school called the Six Packs. It was me and Skippy Kytus and Alex and Leapack and Andy Leapack. And we were just playing record hops and playing at the VFW Hall in Windsor. And Dick Robinson had us come up and play at the KSC Hall. And he suggested we go on to Synchron Sound down in Wallingford and record some stuff, which we did. We cut two songs, came back. It was going to be on his fun label, but nothing really happened. So we went back down again and cut No Good to Cry. And uh, even though it says Doc Cavalier on... Jerry Greenberg on it. Doc was filling teeth at the time. <laughs> and Jerry Greenberg was running record dis- distribution. We should explain a little bit more. So No Good to Cry. And you're going to play a version of No Good to Cry. But No Good to Cry at that moment, you kind of captured a sound. It was almost as if you got some of the Beatles and some of what the black sound was at the time and a little bit of country and kind of wrapped them all up in, in one song. And it was a huge hit. I don't know if you can convey to people, I mean, like how high in the charts it went. or It was number one for four weeks in a row everywhere in New England and little pockets around the country, but Chess Records wasn't that strong to get white people to hit. We didn't get New York City and Chicago and L.A. So we'll give people a sense here. I I think you guys are going to do one of the many acoustic versions. When the weeds play it, we're going to do it like the record was. But this is our uh, the floor models version. Okay. So let's hear this song, and then we'll talk more about the wild weeds. Left me then, you never said a word. 
relationship was through. And you wouldn't fight it all the way. Well, I don't care, you just don't mean that much to me this way. Love's a game and you're in it. And you were so proud of it. Someone you can't depend on Someone you can't rely on No matter what you say It won't come Running back to your arms All over, baby But it don't do no good to cry Hunting, bossa nova melody, no good to cry. That's fabulous. I love that. That's a wonderful version of it. It is, of course, uh, anybody who knows the recorded version knows it's nothing like that. I mean, it's the same melody, but it's right. rendered about as differently as you can. It's a senior citizen's model. <laughs> is it? We're talking to Al Anderson. Jim Chapdelaine's in here. You just heard some of Jim's uh, fabulous playing on that. They are old friends uh, of each other and of me, uh, so it's kind of fabulous to have them here at the end of the year. Al's visiting here. Al Anderson uh, is going to be talking about uh, his life and times with the Wild Weeds, with NRBQ. And then he's gone on to become really one of the hottest, most heavyweight uh, versions of a Nashville songwriter that there could possibly be. He writes for Vince Gill, Tim McGraw. He writes for Diamond Rio. I don't know. I lost track of how many uh, people he's written for. We'll talk, talk a little bit about that, too. Although, let's talk about that song for a second. Am I correct in thinking that that song kind of got the song that you just played, No Good to Cry, kind of got pirated a little bit. Didn't it appear? Didn't the Almond Brothers do it or something? With yeah. A, but and it, it said songwriter unknown or but something? That's because they thought it was Ain't No Good to Cry, and they couldn't find it in the copyright thing. They tried to. They recorded it as Ain't No but Good to Cry. But once something is recorded and it comes out and you don't have their name right, you get full rate. So it, it all worked out. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah you're... And also, Moving Sidewalks did it on ZZ Top. I wrote a song with Billy a couple of years ago, and he said, I heard that record on 
the Wolfman Jack show in Del Rio, Texas. And Wolfman Jack had a show in Mexico. In Mexico, yeah. Because you didn't have to follow the rules. Right. Yeah. Play anything you want. No yeah. FCC, swear, do anything he felt like. <laughs> so he played Ain't No Good to Cry and that's where those guys heard it? Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's kind of cool the rules stuff. here, isn't it? It's this is just like Mexico here. We are so we actually yeah. are technically NPR, in, we, we have a zoning thing. We are technically in exactly. Mexico, right? And this yeah. is Guanajuato, technically speaking. So, but you have lights and stuff. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> so we do have functioning electricity. That's one of the big differences. Getting the wild weeds together is a complicated thing. I mean, uh, not to be morose about it, but some some of the wild weeds are not with us anymore. So, right. And well, what happened was. The Leapak family was heavily involved. Mr. Leapak taught at Hart College, and he was our manager, and Andy was our drummer, and Alex was our bass player. And uh, one of the brothers died a few years ago. Somebody called me and told me about it. They're doing a benefit for his family. And so I knew Alex and Andy were going to be there, so I called Ray and said, let's go in there and do a couple of songs. And Which we did. We did, we did three songs. That's, yeah. all, that's all we could muster up at the time. <laughs> <laughs> but, so now uh, we should say this uh, uh, show is being recorded at, I think, the beginning. Is this the beginning of a grueling rehearsal process, Jim, that you'll be putting them through? I, I'm yeah. doing two days with the weeds all day yeah. and then Christmas Eve morning rundown. And then I got three days with the floor models. We only play once a year, so we have to. Now explain what the floor models are. The floor models are basically the shinolas, but. Plus, With Al, plus we, Al, we put a little shine on it. We put a different spin on things, so it's. Uh, it's also the rhythm section from Laurie McKenna's first album, The Bitter Town. And Jim, are you going to be involved with the Wild Weeds reunion? No, uh, no, no. Uh, well, only as a, a gawking fan. I made, sure, I made fan. sure he's not going to be anywhere near it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I can tell you. You know, I was. Uh, Geez, I was probably four when that record came. No, I think I was, uh, what, I'm the same age as you, so what, yeah, we're the same 11 age. Yeah, or so? Like that, yeah. And I remember waiting by the radio, and mm-hmm. Dickie Robinson, we're going to play the new Weed single. And I had seen him a bunch of times mm-hmm. because I could go over to the uh, teen center with a pack of Territons. Ooh. Yeah, and uh, my CPO, and then... My deal was as soon as the weeds started playing, I wouldn't talk to anybody. And uh, Al had a, a Les Paul, I think, in those days. Guild. Uh, Guild X-175. Whatever it was. I, it was a tiny guitar. Nope. Arch top. Al, don't correct my stories. Okay. Don't, don't even try. He has his memories. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let go me, ahead. Let me have them. Make it up. And I, I thought it was a toy guitar, and I couldn't believe uh, these sounds coming out of this. You know, we've actually had Dickie Robinson on our show over the last year or so. Maybe I can get him to come on, uh, tape something to introduce us. I'm going to call him. See, he came to the show up in the first time he did this up in Massachusetts. Really? Because isn't, he, isn't he, he like on a boat somewhere all the time? I, I was with L. Ron yeah. Hubbard. I was, I was going on the cruise with Delbert, and I was staying right near him. So he came over and I went over on the boat and hung out with him for a while. Interesting cat, man. But he's responsible for the wild weeds. Uh, this is back in the days, and I don't know if this was so true anymore anywhere, but when a DJ and a DJ in a market like Hartford really could break a band and could. Yeah. Bertha Porter, the one, she was this lady that came to work in a bathrobe and slippers. I'm serious, man. I'm not kidding you about this. And she was, she was one of the most powerful women in the, in the country for breaking records, but still she was on chess and she couldn't. I don't think the money, money was there. Let's put it that way. <laughs> so um, you played with the Weeds. And at some point, you were recruited into NRBQ, right? Yeah. The band was on its last legs anyway. It had all different players and stuff. And I went up to uh, – they asked us to come up and play up, up in some farm up in upstate New York. It was probably Chandler Travis, Steve Shook. Went to prep school in Kent. We were fans of the Wild Beats, and they got us to go up 
play with them, and it was, it was actually an audition for me that mm-hmm. I didn't know about. And we have to explain what NRQ was because <laughs> it really was either the most famous, not famous band ever. There's there's so many uh, sort of double-edged things that you can say about, about NRBQ. I was just watching this uh, little Connie Chung's report on you guys from back in the day in which John Sebastian said that uh, you had been cursed with the, with the name the best bar band in the world, right. which meant that you could never really make any money because you could never play for more than 250 people. Yeah, but on a good night, boy. Get out of our way. Well, yeah. I mean, this was an amazing band, and this was a, it's a band. It really is sort of a band unlike any other in the sense, that, although the Shinolas are a little bit similar, and that's a band that pr- you guys prided yourself on your ability to play not only your own material but pretty much anybody's material. Every, everything you can think of. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you want to do people. Oh. Wasn't that there was sort of a stump the band segment of the show a lot of the time, right? Right, right. So we pass around the mag- magic box, and if we didn't know the song, we made up one we did. I mean, <laughs> we picked out something we did. Can you guys do an example right now of some weird uh, cover that uh, that might be, uh, or even just a you know like that would be shouted out from the floor? That actually happened. That the people, people who need people. It's on the flip side of me and the boys on forty five. Yeah. They're the luckiest people in the world. One person. Yeah, I don't know it. That was sort of part of the idea of NRBQ was that these were just these joyous, happy uh, musicians who. It, it was the premise was all music is good unless it's bad. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's good music and bad music. You just categorization came from radio in different formats and stuff. I mean, it was in some ways the other thing that you were were was the most incredibly super talented and charismatic wedding band that ever lived, right? Is that's part of a wedding band is you got to be able to play like Steve Metcalf, who's on our show a lot, came up through a lot of orchestras with uh, Paul Landerman and stuff like that. And the truth is, you'd show up as the piano player, and the band band leader would call out a title and and how many flats or something. You just had to be able to play that. You guys were kind of like that, right? In the late seventies, from Yankee Stadium on, we played like two hundred fifty nights a year, Mm -hmm. and even though the sets were always different. You could feel it was what was going to be next. You could almost everybody would start playing the same. <laughs> it was really weird. Well, let's. Uh, we, we should hear a song from that era. Now, I, we were negotiating about this before, and I actually forgot what we decided. We're, you're not doing riding in my car. You're doing something else. Come on, what if you're you coming. Doing? I think we're come on if you're there. coming. All right. I have to switch guitars. All right. It's a long way to bend over these days. All right. Uh, what key you have there, Al? Key of love. I should say this is one of the rules of their relationship is that Al will not tell Jim the key until one beat before the first. You know, earlier today I said, yeah, hey, looks like we're going to go and play this thing. I said, what songs do you want to do? I said, I don't know. We'll figure it out when we get there. G. Come on if you're coming Come on if you're coming baby Come on if you're coming Come on if you're coming Don't you hear what I say Tired of waiting on you I like the way you dress I like the way you wear your hair I like the way you dress, baby. 
like the way you wear your hair. I like the way you dress, like the way you wear your hair. So what you doing, standing over there? Come on, if you come. 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 Come on, if you come, and don't you hear what I said? I'm waiting on you. Well, you gave me the eye when I looked around. Well, you gave me the eye when I looked around. Well, you gave me the eye when I looked around. So what are you putting down? Come on, if you come. Come on, if you come. Come on if you come. Come
Come on if you're coming. That's uh, I mean, solo. My worst solo of my life. Don't tell anybody I did that. All right, absolutely. It stays here. It doesn't leave the room. I like that solo. That's Jim Chapdelay, and that's Al Anderson. That's an NRBQ song. We're going to take a little break here. We're going to come back with more as we end our year uh, with these two maniacs. Remember last summer when we had the chance to find each other, start making romance, but it didn't come off as you found another without an end of a We're back. Uh, it's the end of the year. Uh, you want to be with friends. You want to hear great music. Uh, we're taking care of both of those things. Jim Chapdelaine, Al Anderson uh, are here. They're uh, great friends of each other, great friends of ours, and uh, we love having them in studio. Not even the first time they've done this. I think very, very early in the life of the show they were in here one day. I think also towards the end of the year. So it's now officially a tradition. And so Al's back in town playing with several different band configurations, uh, including with uh, Jim, with the floor models. Are the floor models playing any? Are there any of those gigs like in the year 2015, or is it all over by then? There are. I'm I'm going up for a little. Uh, they put me on the the lift, and they're going to change a few parts. And as soon as I get uh, fixed up, we'll be back on the road. So uh, when he says that, that means <laughs> guitar playing has really beat the crap out of Jim Chaplin's <laughs> body. <laughs> this would be hand. I, I will tell you this surgeon. Uh, I said, I don't, I don't even know what to call the name. I don't even know what the name of this. I said, so you're going to go in my hand and do jazz? I said, don't you think you should have a name? And, uh, in other words, he's performing surgery yeah, on your doing, hand that has no name. Yeah, that has no name. Yeah. And, and so I said, uh, well, you put a pin in it, right? And uh, six weeks later, you're going to pull the pin out? He said, yeah, that, that's right. We're going to pull the pin. And we hope that the structure is going to – so why don't you call it the hand grenade? And he said, I don't think I can market that. <laughs> So, I mean, it's, this is – I mean, we're not kidding in, in that during the break, Jim suddenly realized that he neglected to bring with him super glue, which he occasionally uses to glue the pick to his hand. Guitar, guitar playing is not for sissies. We no, it's say. not. Yeah. No. Um, all right. So uh, we want to talk about songwriting. Uh, one, at some point – and uh, is it the case that you kind of owe this revelation to Carlene Carter that at a certain point – you suddenly realized, wow, I could write songs that I was not necessarily planning to perform myself, and uh, this would be a lucrative way to, to spend my time. Yeah, and Arby could kind of stagnate around that time. Nobody was writing except me. And uh, I wrote that song with her in six months after I got sober. Went out to L.A. in hotel room, and we just wrote two songs. One was in the Maverick movie. <laughs> and, you know, they got cut right away, and I'm, I've been dying for years. It was supposed to be in the Maverick movie, do you say? Yeah, it was a movie and a song on the Maverick soundtrack. And it got cut? Yeah. Oh, no. But she yeah. recorded one of the songs that you Something did. Something Already Gone, it was called. Something Already Gone. Cause it was, and it was her biggest hit? No, Every Little Thing was a big Every Little Thing. And you wrote that with her, right? I wrote that with her. And it that was, was her biggest it, hit? It was like the second biggest song I ever had as far as uh, money is concerned because it went all over the world. She's, yeah. She was big all over the world. Do you know how to do that song now? Can you play it? Probably not. <laughs> he says picking up his guitar. I hear it. Whoops. <laughs> I hear songs on the radio. 
might be fast or it might be slow, but every damn they plays got this thinking about you. I don't know the rest of it. <laughs> One of the things that I, we have discovered today is that uh, that Al has written so many songs now, and I think when you write them for somebody else, you're therefore not playing them all the time as part of your repertoire. I and think there's an actual number, approximate number. What is the number? Al? What is the number? 2,200 probably. 2,200 songs? That I demoed. What's like the maximum brain? Some, guy, some guys down there can. Yeah. Greg Wiseman, I could, remember that song? And he sings it for his... <laughs> <laughs> he the takes ma- five-hour energy drink, though. Because I, I was telling you, I saw the same thing. I was looking on YouTube, and you wrote a number one hit for Tim McCraw. And Tim McCraw was called The Cowboy and Me, and you were at some festival or something, and they were trying to get you to play it. And uh, Tim McGraw knows that song. You don't have to know that song, right? Yeah. Well, I can, really can't sing it. <laughs> I wrote it with Jeffrey Steele and Craig Wiseman, and he, Jeff can sing it. It's a big range. When you became a songwriter and when you, when you decided to focus on songwriting, not that you're not still a performer, you're still, you still record uh, materials, you still get albums out, but really you know, you're, you're a very, very, very successful songwriter right now. Is that a different mindset? I mean, do, do you think about the song differently because maybe somebody else is going to do it? Up until recently, I just wrote a song. Now I'm writing specifically for radio and specifically other things that may happen. I got that, a train single out now, rock group train, and Harry Connick Jr. cut the song I'm going to do from Nashville. A couple of years ago, a young singer-songwriter that Al found, discovered, mm-hmm. I don't know if you discovered her or found her, but he, she opened up for us. He came and played a song, and it was Megan Trainer, mm-hmm. and she was in high school. And mm-hmm. now, of course, she has all about that bass. Yeah. So I think, Al, why don't you take all the credit for yeah. that? Okay, I would. I, I, I didn't get any money. <laughs> I just found her. That doesn't really fit into the whole country genre anyway, all about that bass, although well, maybe, that's, that's, where well, the, that's where she got the deal, though. So, so you're saying Train is doing one of your songs? And yeah, it's out now. It's called Cadillac, Cadillac. Can you do that song or can they only do that? No. You, you know how high he can sing? Yeah, all right. I, I would need clothespins plus. Maybe, we, <laughs> maybe we'll pull that uh, and just play a little bit of it in the uh, final version of this. Cadillac, Cadillac, take me home. Something like that. That was the money part of it. That was the money part, yeah. Uh, you've written a lot of songs for Vince Gill. So are you sometimes writing a song thinking, this is for Vince, Vince is going to do this song, yeah. this is going to sound good? Every time Vince I write with Vince, I write for Vince. One thing you can't figure out is Bonnie Raitt. I tried for years to get a cut with her. Finally, I got disgusted and sent her a whole pile of songs, and she did three of them. <laughs> she did a bunch on Slipstream, right? There's like yeah. at least two or two of your songs are on Slipstream. Three. Right? three. Who's counting? Three. Yeah, three. <laughs> that, that's three. That's three. Uh, one more than two. That was a dream come true. I went and played on it, too. Rumor has it, legend has it, she's a lot of fun to work with, too. Uh, yeah, she's great. She wants what she wants, though. She's real careful. Uh, she told me that uh, I Can't Make You Love Me. <clears throat> that's the scratch vocal in the first take. Oh, really? Did you know that I Can't Make You Love Me it was, was written by a former NFL football player, a guy yes. who played with the Bengals, right? Yep, Mike yeah. Reed and Alan Shamblin. Yeah, you did know that. People, I say that to people and they look at me like that can't possibly be the case. And that I believe he wrote it based on a news article that he read about a guy who had shot up his girlfriend's car, like not in the parking lot. He'd, gone and he'd shot it up with a gun. And the judge asked him if he learned anything from this experience. And he said, yeah, I learned you can't make no woman love you if she don't. And he, reading that article, wrote that song out of that. All right, so we're talking to Al Anderson and Jim Chapdelaine, who are not impressed by that story. No, I actually I, am. I, I am. I, yeah, I'm me impressed. too. <laughs> I mean, I'm thinking, like, did he write that because his agent said you're not, your option's not going to get picked up? But maybe you could try songwriting. Yeah. Songwriting's good. I believe it is one of the saddest songs ever oh, written. Man. I mean, it's, isn't it? Just, it's just, killing. Yeah, it's oh, yeah. killing. It just tears yeah. your – I mean, because yeah. we've, A, been there, and yeah. B – 
it does describe that helplessness in a particularly soul-erasing manner. I will tell you, though, as a songwriter, the coolest thing was doing those things with Vince Gill. We mm. just kept writing and writing. I had He had no idea he was going to make a four-CD box set. But I got out of it. I got to write with Phil Everly. The Everly Brothers, I think, are the greatest thing ever. Greatest records ever made in Nashville by far. With you and Vince Gill, is is the next big thing that is that your biggest hit together? Or I yeah. mean, you have a bunch of them, yeah. But I so idol, idolized Phil Everly that I went over to write with him. I mean, he was just an idol. I mean, just I'm going, I can't believe it. And he went to the bathroom, and I said, "No, <laughs> Phil, tell me it isn't so." You know, he's human. He actually you don't has, go to the bathroom. I'm, I'm serious. I mean, he went to, God, he went to the bathroom. Yeah. Oh God, he has a urinary tract. <laughs> this is horrible. I find that when you are talking to somebody that you have long admired, it's really hard to get into any kind of normal mode, right? It's hard to – I've interviewed Brian Wilson twice and they've both been disastrous. Well, I don't Skin... think you could ever get in a normal yeah, mode. Yeah, no, I'm going to say yeah, with yeah, Brian yeah. Wilson, maybe I get a gimme, uh, you know, like a, a mulligan or something oh, yeah, on those yeah. because it's not entirely my fault. But part of the fault is if you're in really in awe of somebody, you've got a lot of things – that you're more interested in about them than they are sometimes. I mean, yeah. could, could, oh, oh, definitely. Yeah. Absolutely. He, I, he didn't know how great he was, I don't think. We went to Shoney's to get lunch. I said, Phil, tell me something you've never told anybody before. And he thinks over a while and says, okay, I was in Cadence Records, and uh, Archie Blyer plays me this instrumental. He says, I need a name for this thing. And Phil says, why don't you call it Rumble by Link Ray? Well, can you guys do an Everly Brothers song? I'm, I'm challenging I you. wish, man. Yeah. No, I can't. <laughs> I'm gonna try. I'm trying to learn this for the show. I know the intro. Boy, that looks hard to play. Eh. I bless the day I found I want to be around now and forever. Let it be me. I hated when he died. That's great, though. That's I, wonderful. I, just, I, I like these song fragments we're doing, too. You know. All right, we're talking to Big Al. Uh, we're talking to Jim Chapdelaine. We should play a fully realized, or have you play a fully realized version from your, your modern songwriting career. And so this is really true. This year on my birthday, and Jim uh, and I both had these, we turned the same age this year, and it's one of those ages with a zero after it. And And so I put up on Facebook, I said, you know, I mean... Along with, you know, happy birthday itself and maybe the Beatles, your birthday, and I don't know what else. This is probably the greatest birthday song written recently. And this is a song Jimmy Buffett's done. I don't know who else has done it besides you. But I I would prefer – and I I put up because I prefer – Moore O'Connor, something like that. Yeah. But I put up the Al Anderson version. Metallica. Metallica, yeah. Hear him singing happy birthday Better think about the wish I make Cause this year gone by ain't been no piece of cake Just another revolution Pull it together and it comes undone Just one more candle and a trip around the sun I'm just hanging on while this old world keeps spinning. 
And it's good to know it's out of my control Cause if there's one thing that I've learned from all this living Is that it wouldn't change a thing if I let go No, you never see it coming And always wind up wondering where it went And only time will tell if it was time we'll spend Just another revelation Celebrating what I should have done These souvenirs from my trip around the sun I'm just hanging on while this old world keeps spinning And it's good to know it's out of my control Cause if there's one thing that I've learned from all this living Is that it wouldn't change a thing if I let go a resolution that I'll never make another one just enjoy this ride on my trip around the sun just enjoy my ride until it's done Hal Anderson and Jim Chapdelaine, Trip Around the Sun. It's really a great song to be playing at the end of the year, too. This is a, another Trip Around the Sun and a time of great uh, transition. I should say on the day that we're recording this, uh, Jim is uh, still uh, only a week or two out from the passing of his wonderful, uh, sweet, and beautiful mother. And Last night I had to put my dog, my dog of 15 years, to sleep. So it's kind of a good song in a way. It's kind of a nice transition song for us all. Kind of lets us know that we're... Lucky to still be here uh, and uh, missing some people who aren't. Luck, lucky for the things we used to have, too. <laughs> lucky for the things people. we used to have. People. And the yeah. people we used to have, too. Uh, indeed. All I'll right. say my mom uh, actually yeah. named an adopted pet Robin after Big Al really? when I was a teenager. Yeah, That's really true? Came back three years in a row, too. Yeah. And would hand, she'd hand feed it. Yeah, there's a, you had a Robin <clears throat> would come to your house and his name was Big Al? Well, it was a baby. She, and yeah. she rescued it as yeah. a baby. And she said, why don't I don't want to offend Al, but he looks pretty fluffy. Let's call him Big Al. You know, I know you like Big Al. I like those wild weeds. And uh, she began feeding this bird. And every morning at 6 o'clock, it would peck at our window and he'd sleep on our roof. And then he flew off. And then the next spring, peck, 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 and Big Al was back. Big Al was back. And the third year he came back, he brought, he brought his girlfriend and a couple of kids. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, only he would come down. Yeah. And then that was it. He was done. 
Are there, you got caught up in payments and uh, oh, yeah. child support. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. A, life, life catches up with you. Yeah. Are there any other animals named after you that you're aware of? Yes. I don't remember where. I had a sandwich named after me in Providence. You had a sandwich? What was in it? I think, well, it was, I think it was a really big one. But you don't, did you ever consume said sandwich? No. You I never ate the Big Al? No. Did swimming. you go to that restaurant and order something else? No, I never good. did. I just, just, just went in to see it on the wall. That was it. <laughs> All right. So why don't we take a break here? Uh, we're just ending the year here with our friends. We're going to come back. We're going to play a, a song. I don't know. We're going to play a song. They're going to play a song uh, from the ABC hit series Nashville, to which I am uh, very addicted and therefore very impressed that Al is one of its songwriters. And uh, we might ask Al about another one of his uh, show business collaborations. He happens to be pretty close, I happen to know, to SpongeBob. Uh, So maybe he'll tell us about that when we come back. There's a joke here, but on behalf of Colin, Betsy Kaplan, Greg Hill, Katie Tolarski, Tucker Ives, Lydia Brown, Josh Nalea, Heather Brandon, Mr. Dankowski, me, Kyone Wolf, and the rest of our WNPR team, thank you for listening and for staying engaged with us over the past year. When we started five years ago, we dared to hope that there were listeners who would come to love this unconventional public radio show. And there were. We are so grateful. Colin and I produced this episode with a lot of help from Gene Amatruda. Katie is our executive producer, and Greg tweets for us at WNPR Colin. The part of Bill Curry was played by John Sebastian. For show pages, articles, and audio of the Faith Middleton show staff wearing party hats and dancing with Ryan Seacrest and Jenny McCarthy, visit our website, WNPR.org. On tomorrow's show, there will be a New Year's Day special on innovation. Friday, we're re-airing our show about ecstasy. And Monday is a brand new scramble. And now... Back to Colin. Jim Chapdelaine is here, and with him he has brought Big Al Anderson. Uh, Big Al Anderson, a musical legend from the Wild Weeds to NRBQ to his incredible solo and songwriting career. So how close are you to SpongeBob? How well do you know SpongeBob? Well, I just know the voice, (laughs) Tom Kenny. Not real close. I've been over his house. I wrote a song with him and Andy Paley, and he came to the NRBQ reunions. They're, they put out these SpongeBob albums that you you play on. Them. Yeah, okay, that's right. I did. Yeah, I forgot about that. I uh, think I played on two. And did you write a song that's on those SpongeBob albums? No, I don't think I did. But he did. I think I played on something that Andy and uh, SpongeBob wrote. He, he did get SpongeBob to do a personalized little CD for for my daughter Annie, and uh, I got this call one day from Andy Paley. He said, uh, "What's your daughter's name? You got a dog?" You gotta, it, it was all very like, yep, okay, all right, cool, thanks. It's coming. Uh, thanks. Don't worry about it. Yeah, Al's a good friend. Yeah, thanks. And, and we had known each other from a long time ago. And, uh, and then the CD showed up. And, of course, it did. Hi, Eddie. It's SpongeBob. And it went on. And, How's your dog, Lucy? <laughs> and uh, it blew her mind. Yeah. yeah. He's a great guy. Yeah. And he knows everything about music. Well, we, we do want to talk a little bit about uh, Nashville. Nashville is – look, I speak as a devotee, but it's, it is, it's a primetime soap opera more or less uh, set in, uh, in, in the world of country music and country music songwriting and singing. It has been uh, initially overseen. The music was initially overseen by T-Bone Burnett, which is about as uh, emphatic uh, a sort of – 
credibility signatures you can imagine. Now, who who took over from T Bone? Who's doing it now? Buddy, Buddy Miller. Buddy Miller. Buddy, he was always doing the some of the mu- you know recording it and stuff. But yeah, he, where he was finding songs, and uh, he got, called me and asked me for songs, and I went over and told my publishing company. He said, "Send me your three great songs. Don't that's it. They're inundated with songs." So I, I brought over forty. <laughs> <laughs> I knew him well enough to – I'm not going to waste your time. But So he picked out a bunch of them. So how many of them have been on so far? I think four. I mean I'm very addicted now to the soap opera. But the music also is it's so much fun and it's such a great introduction. Yeah, it's, it's nowhere near as depressing as the show sounds. They pack a lot of <laughs> in there for <laughs> – That's how they frame it too. You know, you talked just a few minutes ago. You are talking about how you uh, – started right with Carly Carter right after you got sober. And that is one of the things that in interesting ways in Nashville they explore, that there is a linkage obviously between country music and songwriting and music and the bottle. And they really do – I mean the only thing that's unrealistic about it is that Deacon is really the only Nashville figure that they show who's sort of gone the whole route, whereas probably uh, you know, 65 percent of the people. And in the 50s, rock and roll and country were the same thing. Right. Most everything came out of there. That was certainly true for you. I mean, it, it, your arc has been kind of interesting because you made your first mark as a rock and roll singer. The Wild Weeds were just, you know, flat out, out and out rock and roll with some roots music mixed into the, into it. But my sense is that you grew up listening to Dwayne Eddy and Chet Atkins and Johnny Cash, right? Johnny Cash was my first. Well, I walked the line. I never never got over that. Still haven't. And I got to play in the Highwaymen record years later. And uh, all four of those guys were there. And Gene Autry came in a in a pink suit and a hat and a white hat, and they sat around and talked forever. So everything is on film the whole session. So the Highwaymen were Chris Christopherson, mm-hmm. Waylon Jennings, Willie Nelson, and, and Johnny. Wow, that must have been an opportunity, huh? It was it was amazing. But, and so, but Johnny did not record uh, an Al Anderson song. We don't have that, right? No, yeah. well, he, he sang on one. He did. Yeah, with Carlene. This uh, series, Nashville, I mean, it really is good. It really is good at, in the way that, first of all, it showcases a kind of country music that – I mean, I, I'm not a person who seeks out country music. I mean, I listen if, you know, if you send me a CD or something, and, and I'm, I'm getting more and more turned on to country music by a lot of the music that I do hear here. But, um, but I think it also does – I'm sure it's not very realistic, but in, in some ways it does showcase, I think, a lot of the, the personal struggles. The only thing is the music is – Better than the radio is because Buddy, you know, he, he tries to keep the bar high as he can. Yeah. Are you ever on the set or do you just sort of the song? You've never been there. I never even met Claire and she's saying the thing. I couldn't make the video thing where they interview the songwriters. Is Claire the beautiful woman who plays Scarlet? Is, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So. Yeah. Uh, who doesn't want her? <laughs> well, I, I have just a, an aesthetic appreciation of her. I wouldn't say I want her. Because <laughs> <laughs> you don't write country. Yeah. I have an Colin, a, you want her. Yeah, I know I actually do. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So this has been great fun to visit with you guys. And same, to, same to you. Man. To yeah. Hear all these songs. And so uh, Jim Chaptelaine and Al Anderson, uh, Happy New Year. Have a wonderful 2015. What we're going to do here is we're going to end with uh, one of the songs that Al has had played on Nashville by the lovely Claire slash Scarlet. What's this song called? Every Time I Fall in Love, I wrote it with Sarah Buxton and Ken Johnson. I'm in heaven on solid ground It makes my world spin round and round I'm inside out, I'm upside down Every time I fall in love 